0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to be looking at Psalm 41. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you're new to the Bible, it's like if you just crack the Bible right in half, it's going to be right around, right around there. Uh, so Psalm 41 is where we're going to be looking this morning. And um, why don't we do this? Let's pray for God's help. Let's read the psalm, pray for God's help, and then we'll start looking at this together. So this is Psalm 41, the last psalm in the first book of the psalms. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies, The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me, They imagined the worst for me. They said, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up, that I may repay him. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, and we consider this psalm this morning, um, would you help us by your Spirit to not only understand it, but apply it to our lives, and see how it not only centers in Christ, but is fulfilled in Christ, and empowered by His Spirit, To strengthen us to follow him and to do good. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to ask a question as we start looking at this and maybe this is a question that I don't mean to provoke uh, bad memories but have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever felt that sting of somebody betraying you or stabbing you in the back or doing something that you were like bro I thought we were friends. Have you ever felt that sense of like What is going on, right? Not, um, I was talking to a friend recently, and he went to the dentist, and in merely just going to the dentist, he was reminded of the dentist technician, and the dentist, and the people in the lobby were all people that he not only recognized, but had been a part of his life, and in God's strange providence, were all people there that had betrayed him at some point, that had kind of turned their back on him. So here he was getting his, t- his teeth worked on while the technician is trying to like talk to him, and he's like, "But you betrayed me, you know." <laughs> so you can, I don't know what betrayal looks like for you, um, and or maybe it just looks as simply like a friend of yours posting something on their Facebook feed that's clearly about you, you know, and you're like, "Bro, what did I do?" Betrayals tend to be one of these things where it, it you we experience it from one way or another, but the effect it has on us. Is it can make us want to pull back from investing in our friends, investing in the people around us, and continuing to do to do good to those in our lives, right? Because there's always a sense of like, uh, if I'm going to invest in this friendship, they're just going to eventually turn their back on me, right? I had a friend in high school who, um, his one aim in life was to care about nothing and nobody, like I don't know because he didn't want to get hurt or betrayed by people around him. It is um, people let us down. And so it can be hard to figure out why should I keep doing good, right? That's and that kind of that that drama or dynamic people betray us. Why should I keep doing good? Is the backdrop of what's going on in this psalm right in front of us? This psalm is mo- almost certainly placed in the life of David um, in Second Samuel five to seventeen. Those chapters of the Bible. And what's going on in that part of the Bible is uh, David is in his older age. And his kingdom, the kingdom of, uh, of Israel is all well-established. And one of his older sons, Absalom, leads a rebellion to oust his dad, right? A classic mobster movie, right? <laughs> oust his dad. And David is in the midst of not only leaving Jerusalem, but being supplanted by his son and betrayed by his friends. And this psalm probably gets placed right in the middle of that. He's probably penning this psalm as he's weeping and leaving his house. So that's what's going on here as we're looking at this psalms, It's kind of the backdrop, and we'll look at more of that as we go along. But the struggle that David is wrestling with in Psalm 41 is why continue to do good? Right? You were just, I don't know if you picked up on all this betrayal language, like my friend has betrayed me. Why continue to do good? And the reason that this psalm gives us is to do good because God is good. That's, it. that's how it begins, and that's how the psalm ends. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we work through this psalm. Why continue to do good? We're going to continue to do good because God is good. And we're going to see three parts of how that works out in this psalm. So the first part that we're going to be looking at, why continue to do good? Continue to do good because God is good. How do we do that? We track with God's mercies. We're going to pick up in verse 1 through 3. If you've got a Bible, you can look there, but I'll read them for us. And listen, listen for the mercies of God as we're reading through this. Blessed is the one who considers the poor, or you might translate that. Blessed is the one who considers the weak or the helpless. In the day of trouble, the Lord, what? Delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. You sustain him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Now, before we get kind of carried away with verse 3, that is not a uh, like uh, name-it-and-claim-it verse of, like, God's going to make me totally healthy. I'm not going to be sick again. No more colds. No problems. Uh, just cite this verse all through the winter, right? That's not what's going on <laughs> in this psalm. But what David's doing, if you notice his attention, right? David's attention is all on what God has done for him, right? God has done these things. He's looking back at his life and saying, oh, God's been mercifully, right? <laughs> He's delivered and he's protected and he's kept him alive. He's blessed. What does that mean? He, he has pronounced happiness and given David happiness in his heart based on who God is. right? He's kept him from being overwhelmed by his enemies who want to kill him. He's sustained him and he's restored him. right? And what's going on then is David's looking back and saying, Okay, God, this is how you've been to me because you are a God who helps weak people like me. And so what that means in verse one, blessed is the one who considers the poor, that means we become like what we worship. That's, that's one of the key principles of the Bible. We become like what we worship. And if we worship a God who helps weak people um, like me, I'm going to be a person who helps weak and poor people. That's, that's the orientation of what's going on. God, I'm looking at what you've done. I want to be like you. And here's what you've done. That's, that's David's tracking with God's He's looking back. And what this does for David is a kind of like a, um, you get the, in kind of a pop psychology stuff, there's all this discussion about like self-talk. How do you talk to yourself? That type of thing. This is effectively a self-talk moment for David. We're going to actually Psalms 42 and 43. We're going to talk about that next week. There's, there's a whole category of how do Christians talk to themselves? David's showing us a little bit of that right here. He's, talking to himself, and what he's doing, amidst all this drama of somebody betraying him, he's looking back and he's what? He's redirecting his attention to God, right? He is, you see, blessed is the one who considers the poor, and he doesn't jump into, and God kill my enemy, <laughs> right? He jumps into, okay, first thing I need to do when I'm betrayed and hurt and offended by other people, I turn my attention, I'm tracking what God has done in my life. He's delivered me, he's protected me, he's kept me, he's sustained me. Turning back to the specific mercies of what God has done in my life. So what the categories? God is our deliverer. What sins, moments, events in your life has God delivered you? So think about this as we're talking through this. What, make this specific. What has God delivered you from? What has God protected and kept you from? It doesn't have to be extreme, or maybe it is. Maybe it is God's protected you from overdosing, or maybe it's God's protected you from getting the thing that would have hurt you. I don't know. Overspending your budget. I don't know. What has God protected you from? What has God sustained you through? Maybe you have actually been lied about, or somebody has been slandering you within your family or your work. How is God sustaining you amidst that sort of betrayal? How is God uh, keeping you happy in him? Right? These are all, how has God done this in the past? That's one of the reasons, as you read through the Old Testament story, there's all these moments where, I don't know if you've read, and they got up to this point, and God delivered them, and then they built a pillar of rocks, and you're like, what's with this pillar of rocks thing? You know, you can go hike the, hike the White Mountains, and they have, when you get above the tree line, it's all pillars of rocks to guide your way. The reason they did all these pillars of rocks in the Old Testament was to mark a moment of where God had been faithful and shown mercy to them. Right? So they, they, something has happened in their life, and they mark it by build, building a pillar so that whenever they're out in the field or walking around, they, oh, remember where God delivered us. We see that, We remember when we built that pillar because God is real, and he actually did something to help us. And he not only did something to help us, but he was merciful about it and delivered us. Building pillars, that's what's going on in the Old Testament. That was their that was their version of having a journal, right? I don't know if you have a journal. But, that's, but we should consider that as a way of what David's doing, right? David is saying, I'm going to look back when I'm betrayed and things are hard, and I don't know why I want to keep dealing with people. We need to have a track record of remembering how God has specifically been merciful to us. So I don't know if that's for you, a journal, or art, like doing artwork or doing, uh, writing songs or poems. But I think it's helpful to have a specific way in which we dive down and say, okay, God, you have been merciful to me. This is a specific way that you have done this for me. And then when we walk through our house, right, we can say like, there's that verse that, okay, that verse was really important to me before, but man, when we walked through that craziness and God delivered me, God delivered us, And now takes out. Do you guys have that in your house? Like, or just in your life? I would encourage you if you don't, just to be able to say, okay, God, you've been good to me. I have like 12 or 15 volumes of all these black journals that I carry around from 15 years of walking with Jesus. And I'm sure the handwriting's gotten worse over the years. But you can go back and you can track as I still struggle with the same things, but I struggle maybe a little bit differently, but I can see specifically. Like, I, I can go back when we had our first miscarriage. I can look back and say, okay, God, here's how you, you met us. Or when my aunt died. Or these sort of things. You know, I can, God, you've been merciful to me. And it, 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 it takes my attention away from myself because that's what tends to happen in hardship, right? David's laying out for us this pattern of saying, okay, God, when things get hard, I need to remember your mercies and I need to pull my mind out of myself and look to you. It's also a sobering out of the trouble, whether it's betrayal or not, is coming. And how are you going to prepare for those days? I want to remember specifically how God's been merciful to me. So maybe this afternoon, pull out a journal, or if you don't have one, pull out a piece of paper, and just go through and, and, and highlight these words. God, you're a deliverer. You're a protector, a keeper, a blesser, a sustainer and a restorer, how have I experienced those things? And then just listen, maybe this, this week, today, this past month, this past year, how have you experienced God's goodness to you? Because the reality is like David, pe- people are gonna disappoint us, but God has called us to, what's the chief, chief commandment? To love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't get out of that one. There's no exception clause to that. You must love people. But how do we do that? When they're going to be untrustworthy at times, but we continue to do good by tracking God's mercies in our lives and becoming more like Him. But David doesn't leave us there because we're going to move on in verse four. Uh, he doesn't just kind of say, "Okay, I'm going to uh, self-talk my way out of dealing with the issues that I've got right now." Uh, we are going to deal with the realities of what's going on. So here, before we read verses four to ten. I want, to, I want to read a little bit of what's going on here in David's life in 2 Samuel. So, so David, uh, David's older, one of his older sons has, this is, uh, you can track with me if you want in verse 2 Samuel 5, 15 7 through 17, but I'm going to read this for us. David's been, a, 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 uh, his older son has said, I can do this better than you. I'm going to kick you out and I'm ready to get you out of the house. And so there's this rebellion stirring against David. And so in verse uh, 15, 12, it says, and while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, so Absalom had set up camp in another city, he was setting up a new temple, and he's like, I'm starting this whole thing over, um, I can do this better. He's offering the sacrifices in worship. He sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city in Gil- Gilah. The conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So what's going on is if somebody's named David's counsellor, I mean they're they're like the inner posse, right? They are the guys that David talks to about all of the plans for the nation, all the plans for his life, all the plans of where the kingdom's going. And so it's kind of like taking one of the members of the board of directors from Pepsi and buying him off and taking him to Coke. <laughs> Right? Like, you know where the competition's going, right? That, this is bad news, right? He has been bought off, and he is now working for, was working for David, now he's working for Absalom, Ahithophel, the betrayer. Then we're going to, a little bit down, verses 30, verse 31, David finds out about this. And David went up to the ascent of Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, and his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. So everybody is sad about what's happening. Obviously, this is not just personal for David, it's for everybody else. And it was told, David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So now David finds out, oh, my friend has stabbed me in the back. And David said, Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So David turns to the Lord and says, Okay, God, this guy's smart. Like he knows what's going on. Turn his counsel for my enemy against him. And then what David does is he sends in two counselors of his own. He's like, Well, if two can play this game. I'm going to send my counselors in. Uh, they're going to work for Absalom. They're going to pretend to defect. And then they're going to start kind of working against Ahithophel's counsel. So then verse chapter 17. Uh, in verse 14, the counsel, these two guys are counseling Absalom. Absalom and all the men of Israel, the counsel of Hosea, um, the archetype, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. And the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might do harm upon Absalom. So David's plan plays out. Okay. my 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 conspirators... Are working against my enemy, and then what happens? Verse 30, twenty-three: When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home, off home to his own city. He set his house in order, order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. So this is the con—this is story context of what's going on and where David writes Psalm forty-one, where he's being betrayed, right? So. And this is the story of Ahithophel, how he betrayed David. Do you notice what's going on here when we read through Psalm 44 through 10? David is reminding himself not of what God has done in the past, but God's presence with him. So I'm going to read through 4 to 10. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again while his enemy lies. Where, from where he lies, even my, my close friend in whom I trusted. So here he's talking about Ahithophel, right? Even my, fr- my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, and lifted his heel against me. But you, O oh Lord, be gracious to me and, ri- and ri- raise me up that I may repay him. So, what's going on here in the middle of this psalm is that David is reminding himself of the very presence of God, but being honest and real God, this is not okay. My friend has betrayed me, things have not gone well. Where are you, God? I need your presence now. And the interesting thing is that as David is talking about a friend who betrayed him, this is one of two citations, this is one of the two verses that Jesus mentions in the book of John when he talks about his own life towards the cross. So John, John cites this. In the, is there somebody that betrayed Jesus? Judas is the one who fulfills this for Jesus. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he cites this, it's John thirteen 18. I'm not speaking of all of you, right? So he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you forever. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. Who who ate my bread and has lifted his heel against me. But Jesus cites this to, to, to indicate that he's not only being betrayed, but Jesus is the better king, the better David. The one who's fulfilling, the, the David's life in the Old Testament really is just kind of like an outline of what the king is supposed to be. Obviously David fails in many ways. And Jesus comes in and colors that outline in. But he colors in the outline of David's life with all these real examples of not only his victories, but his betrayals as well. And what happens to Judas? <laughs> he hangs himself. Just as, those, just as David's friend hangs himself, Judas goes out and hangs himself. Because he has, he has betrayed God's king. So this is, this is not just about David and his personal experience. This is a whole picture of what's going on in the whole Bible, right? Jesus is the one who fulfills what's going on in David's life, which I think is why when we can look, if you look with me, maybe you got, maybe you kind of felt a little uncomfortable. Verse 10, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay him. Seems a little vengeful, doesn't it? You have to remember, who's the one singing this psalm or writing this prayer? It's the king. It's like saying like, uh, if America were attacked and the president didn't do anything in response, right? he he has an official capacity to right the wrongs of the nation. So David has to do that. So this isn't something that you take up in your personal life when when your coworker uh, slanders you and you get a bad job review because you have got a bad coworker. You don't say, "Raise me up that I may repay him." <laughs> you don't you don't say that. This is the king praying this, and then Jesus goes out and prays it too, and how does he repay us? By taking what we deserve. right? So Jesus fulfills this psalm not by becoming this vengeful king that comes out to destroy us, by becoming this humble king who comes to die in the place of people who have betrayed him. We just sang that, right? And just, Oh, that rugged cross, right? We were the ones who put him there. We were the ones, just like this psalm, who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus is the one who comes and says, O oh Lord, be gracious to me that I can be gracious to them. So Jesus is raised from the dead so that he can continue to can secure God's grace to us right now. So you look at verse 4 and 10. As for me, O oh Lord, be gracious to me. And then he ends in verse 10, but you, O oh Lord, be gracious to me. In the midst of being honest with God about what's going on, God, things are not easy. This is hard. And just. Jesus prays this. It's hard. The presence of God is that He's gracious to us. He's good with us. He's kind with us. He's gentle with us. God is the one that's contrasted. These people are being um, slanderers, liars, spies, thieves, ridiculous, right? God's the one who's the one being contrasted with them. God's good and gracious and gentle with us. And that's the presence that we need to remind ourselves of about when things are hard and we feel betrayed. God is with us, right? And what David does is he takes us to God in prayer. And I think we need to remember that the first thing when things are hard, whether betrayed or things are just hard, we don't need to go to texting our friends or posting on Facebook or Instagramming or whatever about our woes. We go to God in prayer, to reorient our thoughts. God, I, I, and we can be honest with God about the reality of what's going on. God, this is not easy, but I need to feel and know your presence now because this is not easy. But God, you're gracious. God, this is not easy, but you're good. God, this is not easy, but you're a deliverer. God, this isn't easy, but you're a keeper and sustainer. God, I, I need you because all these people have abandoned me or betrayed me. We don't go to texting and say, can you believe that so-and-so did this to me? We don't go to relationships to find our comfort. We go to God. God, you're the one. You're the presence I need. You're the one that I need near to me. And this is going to be helpful for our life together as a church because we are not going to meet each other's expectations. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. We're going to let each other down. And it gets hard continue to be faithful to love each other and to love our neighbors because we're going to let each other down. This is one of those things where I, in order to be to, to, we're saying that this whole psalm is about doing good because God is good. We do good not to get the reward. Okay, I've had this experience in, like, in the past where I've, I've invited all these people over and then nobody's invited me back. <laughs> I've reached out to my friends and I've texted them and asked how they're doing and nobody's asked how I'm doing. Actually, they, they betrayed me and left me. How do we continue to do good with more people in our lives? Well, we realize, okay, God, I need your presence, and you're good to me, and this is about serving you through them, not getting the reward of, doing, of them doing what I want them to do, right? That's going to be just, that's been a key moment of my life, of being able to say, okay, God, I'm going to continue to do what you want me to do, to, to do good by knowing your presence with me, because I'm not trying to get the reward of other people doing what i want because that's not what david got right he got betrayal tracking with god's presence with you means you're connecting your delight and joy in serving and loving god and not other people's responses to you so we're going to finish this psalm up if you got we're going to pick up in verse 11 so how do we continue to do good because god is good we're going to we're going to end by looking at tracking with God's future. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemies will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. So this is a future-looking right. He is, if you're, if you're kind of picking up on this, this is a past, present, future dynamic to the psalm. God, you've been good to me in the past, and one of the best things about getting old in Jesus is you've got a lot of evidence of how God's been good to you in the past. God, you're with me right now, and then, okay, where am I going with God? Looking forward, God, you delight in me. These are some of those incredible statements in the in the in the Psalms. This I know that you delight in me, and my enemy will not shout in triumph over me. God, you win. Right? You want a summary of the Book of Revelation? Jesus wins. There you go. Free commentary of the day. Jesus wins, and you get the rewards of Jesus winning, not because you earned it, but this by you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Now, if you are paying attention to the author of the psalm, there are some incredible statements that do not make sense. If you know David, he is an adulterer, murderer. He was indifferent to the sexual abuse of his children. He obviously has got some real daddy issues because his, his sons are going crazy all over the place. He is a major mess. But the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Okay. So how do you have this? I'm not even sure that I would have him as a pastor. I mean, this guy is just a, a wreck, you know? I, how do you have him then say, but you upheld me because of my integrity? Does that fe- you feel the tension? Like, integrity, David, what are you talking about? bro, you are a walking Jerry Springer show, you know? (laughs) Here's the difference. David is not saying, God, you have upheld me because of my innocence. You have upheld me because of my integrity. Innocence is saying, I've never sinned. Integrity with God is saying, I have sinned, and God is gracious, right? So David's not saying, I'm perfect. What he's saying is, God has given me the grace to deal openly with my sin. That's integrity is not being perfect, but dealing with God's ways and God's grace. So, So David is then able to say, this is the crazy thing about the gospel and grace is people who are complete idiots like us, who reject God and have nothing to offer him. God says, I'm going to uphold you because of the faith that I've given you to trust in me. And I'm not even going to uphold you. I'm going to raise you from the dead so you can be with me and live with me forever. Did you see that? And set me in your presence forever. Does the Old Testament believe in the resurrection from the dead? Yes, because David says, set me in your presence forever. He's not talking about a ghost. He's talking about a physical, real presence with God. So what does this do for us to be doing good? Sometimes, have you ever heard this phrase, he's too heavenly minded for any earthly good? I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. I, I want to I introduce you to a, a, an old friend of mine, uh, Richard Baxter. He's way dead, long dead. <laughs> long, long dead. Do we have the slide? Yeah, see, I just want to know, if, if you guys ever want to do a portrait of me like this, that'd be sweet. Like, I would put that as like my Instagram picture forever. Like, got the thing, got the cap. I, especially for me, this guy's got hair. <laughs> Let me read this for you. About about a moment in Richard Baxter's life, the most heavenly man who ever lived, uh, Jesus and other biblical characters accepted. This is by the way. This is from Donald Whitney's book, Simplifying Your Spiritual Life. He may have been Richard Baxter. He was a remarkable Puritan pastor who lived uh, for 67 years or 76 years, and despite suffering from one physical malady after another almost constantly. During the winter of 1646, ill health forced him to spend several lonely months in a house far from his home and family. His condition was so bad that his his physicians uh, gave him a sentence of death. With his life ebbing away, Baxter began thinking much about heaven. As he put it, I began to contemplate more seriously on the everlasting rest, which I apprehended myself to just be on the borders of. Right, Basically translated, I'm about to die, I'm thinking about where I'm going. He began, but in order to keep his mind straight, right, from getting distracted or scattered, he began to write down his reflections on his life to come in heaven. These were the beginnings of perhaps the most important of his books, 140 books, The Saint's Everlasting Rest, published four years later. He found his extended times of meditating on heaven so helpful that after his recovery, he continued them for the remaining five decades of his life. For 50 years. For 50 years, for half an hour each day, usually while wake, walking before dinner, Baxter disciplined his mind to focus on the world to come. As a result of becoming so heavenly minded, he became one of the most earthly good men of his, of his or any other time. Right? He, just so you know, Baxter's book, The Reformed Pastor, is like considered still like 300 years later like a standard for pastoral books. Fixing your thoughts on heaven can be a powerful practice, since there is nothing on earth to compare with the beauty, splendor, and joy of that place. Right? It's not just enough that we think about the reunions that we'll have with people who've gone before us. That's, there's nothing distinctly Christian about that. But thinking specifically about Jesus and seeing Him face to face, we groan as we lo- uh, as we are longing, imagine the glorious freedom of a mind and body without sin, eagerly awaiting the the adoption the redemption of the body. I think that's what David's holding out for us here. That thinking about heaven, thinking about what it's going to be like when God restores all things and makes all things new and takes all pain and suffering and sorrow away. And we're able to have bodies that don't break apart and minds that can think clearly and hearts that don't sin and desire wrong things. David's saying, looking forward to that, causes me to be able to be more gracious and gentle and helpful to the weak and poor around me. Verse 1, when I think about where I'm going, where am I going? That's why Paul says in, second, or in Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Not, he doesn't just mean like, set your mind on the things the Bible reveals right now. Set your mind on the promises the Bible holds out, the future the Bible holds out for us. God is going to come and restore all things and all the ways in which we've been betrayed and hurt and harmed and and victimized will be done away with and dealt with by the very justice giver himself. Look forward to that day when he deals justly with all people and by his own grace on the cross doesn't deal justly with us because he executed on Jesus. And then maybe pray for our enemies that they would know that the goodness of Jesus where he's taken their sins on the cross, where he's taken their wrongs, their betrayal to us, the sins that they've committed against us. He's taken those on himself too. And maybe they too may be in his presence forever. You see, David is setting this pattern for us. How do we continue to do good? It's hard when people betray us and things are not easy. But looking and resting ourselves And how good God has been to us. And what does it look like? And what he's done for us in Jesus. That gives us the courage and the faith and the strength to continue to do good today. So that we can, like Richard Baxter, the more we think about heaven, become more good for our days here. So how do we keep doing good? We think about this God of grace who has helped weak people like us. Who know his presence and are looking forward to his future. We can do good because God is good. Let's pray. Father, as we have looked at Psalm 41, I pray that you would give us the grace to be people who think about how you've been good to us so that you would reorient our perspective, remind us of who you are, so that we can be good and do good to people around us not because we are deserving or because we are good because you're a good god we pray this in jesus name amen thank you for listening to this message from king's cross church in manchester new hampshire please feel free to share or distribute this content but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission king's cross church exists to treasure proclaim and grow in the gospel of jesus christ To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.